Good morning again, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, we are continuing, as I said, this sermon series called The Days of Our Lives, where we're, we're going through the, uh, the episodes of faith that we've experienced in the life of this church being a church. And last week, we started out in the 1940s, just after the Second World War, and we examined how the, that community was looking for something to hold on to, and the church had to be reestablished as something to hold on to, what with the way that the Nazis co-opted the Christian church. And so we were glad for people like C.S. Lewis, an apologist, who gave us some handholds in that direction. Today we move into the 50s, and in the 50s we, we come uh, to meet a man named Billy Graham, a man that helped to define what the word evangelical means. And so let us pray. Scatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. So Billy Graham tells this story about a time when he was on a plane with the mayor of Charlotte, a man named John Belk. While he's on this plane, uh, another man on the plane becomes quite disruptive. He's intoxicated. He's bothering other passengers. He's boisterous and rude. He's harassing the flight attendants. He's even pinching women on their way up the aisle. And so Belk gets up from his seat and he goes to calm the man down. And he says to the man, don't you know who this is? And he points to Billy Graham. And the man says, no, I don't recognize him. Who is he? And Belk says, well, that's... Billy Graham. And with that, the man got up out of his seat and enthusiastically presented his hand to Billy Graham and said, put her there, Reverend. Your preaching has made me the man I am today. <laughs> Just exactly what the preacher wanted to hear. Who knows where Billy Graham was headed on that plane that day? He was a tireless evangelist. He conducted 417 crusades in 185 countries from 1947 to 2005. Could have been going anywhere, maybe even here, because Billy Graham came here, he came to Pontiac, known as then the Pontiac Metropolitan Stadium. Who remembers when it was called that? Before it was called the Silver Dome, evidently it was called that. He came in October of 1976 for a 12-day crusade. Maybe you know someone that attended. Maybe you even attended. Maybe you know someone that came forward at the end of the of the crusade and made a decision for Christ as they sang just as I am Lord led by George Beverly Shea which was 
the custom. Maybe you do. And yet, at least according to this story, even with all that impact and notoriety and public persona, he was unrecognizable to the man sitting there on the plane, someone that had supposedly been so affected by his preaching. I have a friend who's very accomplished in the work of the church. He's written books and articles. He speaks all over the country. He has a fancy title at a national organization. A real somebody, you know. But we were, we were speaking with one another a few weeks ago about career trajectories, and he said, you know, Nate, nobody knows me outside the church. And it's not even the whole church. Nobody knows me outside of our little denomination. And even then, if I quit next week, nobody would remember me in a month. It's a terribly haunting thing, I think, to come to the realization, to recognize the degree in which we truly are unrecognizable and ultimately irrelevant if you let yourself go down that rabbit hole. Nicodemus was a somebody too, like Billy Graham, like my friend. He was a somebody in the church world. In his day, he was a remarkable person. We know from today's passage that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but he, he wasn't just any Pharisee. He was a leader of the Pharisees. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was sort of the supreme court for the Jews. They received their authority from, from Rome. Nicodemus was a somebody. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. We also know that Nicodemus had the sort of status on that body in the Sanhedrin that gave him voice to question the decisions. He wasn't just any member of the Sanhedrin. When the temple police set out to arrest Jesus in the seventh chapter of John, Nicodemus argues the case. He says, our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they're doing, does it? So Nicodemus is a somebody. He's on the San Sanhedrin. He has status on the Sanhedrin. And we also know that Nicodemus was a person of wealth. He's a somebody. You see, when Jesus dies, the Gospel of John tells us that it's Nicodemus that comes with Joseph of Arimathea to take his body away. Nicodemus, it reminds us, who had first come to Jesus by night in today's passage in John 3, also came on that day bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds, a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes. Pope Benedict observes, the quantity of the balm is extraordinary and exceeds all normal proportions. This is a royal burial. 
Nicodemus was a somebody. He was a really good religious leader. Nicodemus, like many of us, was really good at his job. Some of you are good at your jobs. You're good at what you do in your daily lives. But here's the other thing about Nicodemus. There were many good religious leaders. There were even many members of the Sanhedrin. And in the first century, there were many people of wealth. But we don't know any of their names. To us, they are irrelevant. We only know about Nicodemus because of his involvement with Jesus. That is why he's a somebody to us. And that's really the thing that Billy Graham and the members of that evangelical movement wanted to ask in the 1950s as the prosperity began to take root and the boom was happening. They wanted to ask the question, with all of that, are you really a somebody without him? And if all of that is passing you by, if all of that prosperity is passing you by, did you know that you could be a somebody if you're with him? You can be born again. That was the question that Billy Graham and the evangelicals of the 1950s and beyond wanted to ask. Did you know that you could be born again? That your somebody-ness comes from your involvement with Jesus? Now most of the attention given to this question, given to this invitation that Jesus offers to Nicodemus, this invitation to be born again or born from above, the Greek can be translated either way, most of the attention has been centered on the choice that we make to be led first and foremost by the sovereignty of God made known to us in the life of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham called that making a decision for Christ. Other people have called that getting saved. Has anyone here ever been asked when they got saved? I've been asked that question a lot of times. <laughs> when did you get saved? Sometimes, and for some reason, that question gets asked, and there's like this judgmental tone underneath it, too. Like, if I don't answer that question just right, just perfectly, in, a, in just the polished way, then maybe I'm not really saved. <laughs> Right? I'm not even really a Christian. When I get asked that question, what I really want to say is, well, I was saved back in the year 33 on the day that Jesus got up and walked out of the tomb. 
But that's not the answer that they want. That's really not what they're looking for. What they want to know is, when did I make a decision for Christ in my life? And I suppose that I could tell them that I was 13 years old and I was sitting in my grandmother's living room with my cousins and we were having a Bible study as all 13-year-olds do. (laughs) And my grandmother said this prayer with us. Or I suppose I could say that when I was 15 years old, there was a pastor and he preached a sermon and at the end of the sermon, he invited everyone to close their eyes and put their heads down. And that if anyone would like to make a decision for Christ, they needed to just put up their hand. And I thought, well, that's all I have to do? And so I did. I imagine that there are more compelling stories out there if you were to tell yours, and I'd love to hear them. I know a recently deceased member of the Kirk who was watching a a Billy Graham crusade on the television and she put her hand on the TV at the end when they sang Just As I Am. What would you say if someone asked, when were you born again? What I have learned, though, is that there's a better answer or a better question than that. That maybe it's a good question, when did you get saved, but it's an inadequate question. The better question, I think, is when was the last time you made a decision for Christ? When was the last time you were born again? When was the last time you committed yourself to this endeavor? Because I'm weak. Maybe you are too. I I find myself in need of recommitting myself on a daily basis. Maybe you do too. And so maybe the better question, the more adequate question is, when's the last time you made this kind of commitment? That's a good question. What would you say if someone asked, when was the last time you were born again? But I think there's an even better question than that. Billy Graham was not the only one that stood before the masses in what was once known as the Silver Dome in October of 1976. If I asked you who was the head coach of the Detroit Lions in the fall of 1976, how many of you could tell me? I'm guessing that some in this room could, but many could not. Because see, even the professional coach of the biggest team in town is only remembered for so long. But many of you, some of you could tell me who the coach of the Detroit Lions was in the fall of 1976. Who was the coach? Rick Forzano, Rick Forzano was the coach 
of the Detroit Lions in the fall of 1976. And you know that, some of you, because Rick Forzano was a member of this church. Now, Rick died in January. But in the last couple of weeks, I've had several people ask me about Rick, tell me stories about Rick. One, one of these people was a member of the church staff, and, and her daughter got sick as a younger adult, and a man who had fallen in love with her, who had lived in Texas, came to help her daughter at the end of her life. And Rick heard about this man who came from Texas, and so he came and he, he visited with the session, and he looked around the room and he said, you know, this man has come here to do a good thing. We know a lot of people. We should be able to help this man find a job. And they did. Another man told me a story about how Rick called him on the way to a, an oncologist appointment. Rick asked him, what are the chances? And the man told him, it looks like it's about 80% chance of it being cancer. And Rick prayed with him right there on the phone. He prayed to God. He said, I, I'm praying that it would be less than 80% chance, much less than an 80% chance of being cancer. And when the man walked into the doctor's office, it was eerie because the doctor used the same exact words that Rick had used. It's much less than an 80% chance of being cancer. And in those stories, Rick was born again. So they might ask you, when were you born again? And you might ask yourself, when was the last time I was born again? But what we really want to know is, will we one day be born again? Born again to those that love us, to those that we've made an impact on in this life. Born again with the saints in glory. Will we one day be born again like Rick was born again to his wife? Because see, several days after I heard these stories, I just so happened to have on my calendar a visit scheduled to see Betty, his wife of 45 years. And I said, Betty, I have to tell you what, what I've heard. And she listened to these stories and she said, it's like he's right here again. In the time since Rick Forzano died, I have heard almost nothing about his record of success as a professional football coach. But where and how his life imitated Christ, was involved with Christ, he remains relevant and he is born again. And I bet he will be again and again Now, the last few weeks have been difficult for many of us. Pastor Fernando read a list 
today of people that we lost just in the last week or so. <coughs> Over a week ago now, we lost a dear friend, an absolute pillar of our church, David Lau. He was a somebody. He was a somebody around here. Now his service will be here next Saturday at 11, as Pastor Fernando said, but I want to close with this. Dave was born again. He knew who was in charge of his life. Dave is born again. Because of Calvary, he has been collected up with the saints in glory and will be rejoined with us there. But Dave will be born again as well. He will be born again, and so many of the people we love will be born again for the same reason that the Bible tells us about Nicodemus and none of the other members of the Sanhedrin. And the same reason I'm telling you stories about Rick Forzano and not any of the other coaches of the Detroit Lions. Dave will be born again because he was relevant in the same way that they were relevant because Jesus was born again in him. This is my sermon today. And honestly, it might be the only sermon I really have. As you think about the best way to honor the people of faith in your life, this day and every day, may Jesus be born again in you. That's how we will be somebody. Amen.